Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We're so glad you joined us today. If you've been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. Well, I pray that you're ready to dig into God's Word together. Okay, so one person, I'll say it again. I pray you're ready to dig into God's Word together. All right, I mean, I'm more interested in what God's Word says than what I would have to ever say to anyone. So, um, just a question as we start out. Have you ever shown up to something unprepared? Unprepared. Hopefully, slide number one, hopefully it wasn't to a job interview where you showed up unprepared. I remember a few times uh, my siblings would come or my sister-in-law, brother-in-laws would be like, yeah, I, I blew this one. Uh, I, I just was like a deer in the headlights and I didn't know what to say. But maybe that's been someone here where you showed up unprepared. Um, a few Sundays ago, we have the next picture up. A few Sundays ago, I showed up to church with the wrong shoes and I realized way too late when it, service was about to start and I had like black high tops which would not go with a sports coat so I, I looked at Priscilla I said I need you to jet home like drive like a like a soccer mom with our minivan and go home and get my dress shoes and so she did and she made it back halfway through worship and uh, I got the shoes on but I felt very unprepared for that Sunday service without the right shoes or it's like going to school to take a math exam and forgetting, some of you might remember this era, the TI-83 calculator. And I remember having to have this in math class. And if, if you showed up unprepared without your TI-83, you'd be in trouble, right? Can I get a witness? Anyone remember the TI-83? I remember, side note, I learned how to program Tetris, the game, into my TI-83. And once I learned how to program that, then I learned how to program the answers to the test also in the, in the game program. And then um, the conviction of the Holy Spirit fell upon me as a young man, and I was never the same again. And then they started confiscating or saying, you have to delete all those other programs. So God knows, and he deals with us in his own ways. Can somebody say amen? Um, but then let's get a bit more serious this morning. Someone asks you, and maybe you're feeling unprepared, and they say, I need you to pray for my mom who's sick, like, like right now, and the mom's right there. And then suddenly you're like, uh, okay, give me like 10 minutes. I got to go get prayed up and pumped up and hyped up before I'm able to do this. And any of you can relate to that? It's like you're caught off guard. They know you're a Christian. They know you're a believer. But you feel unprepared in the moment. And, and that's not the way God calls us to live. Real life won't pause the moment for you to go and get prayed up or filled up or hyped up. And I, I believe I had a conversation this morning. When we look at Jesus's life, it says early morning he would withdraw himself and he would go to pray. And this is what he did. I purposely think in his time with God, he was getting filled up then. He was getting everything he would need for the day ahead. 
And, and when you look at Jesus' day, the rest of his day, as he's walking, there are thousands of people gathering. There are hundreds of sick people. And if you, if you read through those stories, it always says that Jesus healed every single one of them, except in his hometown. The Bible distinguishes that because he could only heal some because they didn't look at him as the Messiah or the healer that he was. They just remembered him as, isn't that Joseph's son? The son of the carpenter and they couldn't understand how he could do those mighty miracles but everywhere else Jesus went there was healing virtue flowing out so he was giving out a lot and so early morning let's look at his example he would withdraw and spend time with his father why to recharge to be filled up then so that he could minister effectively through the rest of his day and it's no different for you and me when someone asks you to, hey, can you just pray for me? I'm, I'm sick or I, I, some kind of situation. You won't have a moment to press pause and say, you know, um, give me 20. I'll be, I'll be back. And they're going to look at you like, seriously, where are you going? And you like lock yourself in the bathroom and they think like you have stomach issues when meanwhile you're saying, oh, Holy Spirit, help me because I feel unprepared. That's not the way God wants us to live. And so as a believer... I want you to understand today that you have everything you need. And I want to show you, this is the title of the sermon, three godly things you can bring to any situation. Three godly things you could bring to any situation. I pray you're fired up this morning and you're excited for what God wants to speak into your life. I believe that when you walk out of here, you'll have three tools with you that you can take into any situation. They're not just tools, they're godly tools that can transform you and those around you and the situations around you. Are you ready for the word? So in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'll invite you to stand to your feet. This is, kind, it's, it's not a main text because we'll jump through a few scriptures, but it's an anchor text for where we're coming from. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I just want to read two verses with you. And here is what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. I'll be reading today from the New Living Translation. It says this, But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And this foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. I'll read the last part of verse 24. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And those are two out of our three things this morning. Would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray for your anointing this morning that I would speak only your word and what you want me to say. Lord, I completely remove myself and my, my thoughts from the equation. And so, Lord, use my mouth. I humbly surrender to you. And I ask you to speak to the very core of who we are as people, as sons and daughters, as believers today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Three godly things you can bring to any situation. It doesn't, and one, money is not one of them. So you don't have to be rich, and you could be poor. And you can still bring some, something to an equation. 
or to a situation. You can show up and make the difference in Jesus' name. And so number one is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. We read in Corinthians that Christ is the wisdom of God. But I want to digest it a little for you. And so I'm going to read out of uh, 1 Kings chapter 3. And I encourage you to turn there if you can. 1 Kings chapter 3. The wisdom of God. 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning at verse 5. And here's what it says. That night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. What a, what a great opportunity, right? What if God asked you that? What do you want? And I'll give it to you. Just ask me. So Solomon replied, You showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you, and you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. So Solomon was actually referring there to himself. Verse 7, Now, O Lord, so he's getting to his request, his answer, Now, O Lord God, you have made me king instead of my father David, but I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. And here it is. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? And the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. And get this, I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will have. And then here's the bonus, verse 13. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. And so isn't that a beautiful picture? So God says to Solomon, what do you want? Ask me and I will grant it to you. Do you agree Solomon could have said, I want riches? He could have said, I want fame. But instead, he looked at the task, his current situation, and he said, Lord, there are a lot of people, your people, that I'm supposed to govern. And I feel like a kid, meaning I, I don't know from a leadership standpoint how to govern them or how to lead these people of yours. So God, give me an understanding heart that I might care for them, because that's what a good leader does that I might care for them, but also know the difference between right and wrong. In essence, give me an understanding heart is the same thing as asking for wisdom. And God says, I'm pleased with what you've asked for. And in God's goodness, we sang, God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. You're so good to me. God says, not only will I give you what you asked for, but I'll give you even what you didn't ask for. And he said, I'll give you the wealth and the fame as well. But there was a condition tied to that. 
And it was this, that you will obey the decrees and you will follow my commands. And you see, there's the wisdom that is not of this world that is available to you and to me. Did you know that? I mean, I remember going about life. There were sometimes I had no clue what to do. And sometimes the, the Spirit prompted me. Um, I know that there are people in our church every morning who pray for wisdom. And I want to look with you for a second at what it says. In James chapter 1, verses 2 and 6, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Remember, we're talking about how you can change your, your circumstance or the situation. The wisdom of God. Verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And here it is in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Amen. That's probably someone who prays for wisdom every morning, who says amen because he understands. But you see, Solomon asked for wisdom, and did God grant it to him? Yes or no? Work with me. Yes. And in James, in the New Testament, we're invited to ask of God, Lord, I lack wisdom in this situation. God, I don't know what to do anymore. Lord, I've exhausted all my options, and I don't know what to do. So that's not asking for wisdom. That's just letting God know you're in a bind. That's just telling God all your problems. The, the, the key comes when you start asking him, Lord, I don't know what to do, so please grant me wisdom. Grant me wisdom and ask for it, because that's what we're in, instructed to do in Scripture. Don't just say, Lord, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. You might say, ask for wisdom. It's in the Word. Obey the Word. And so when you begin now to ask, God, give me wisdom for this, then wisdom shall be yours. Not just earthly wisdom, but godly wisdom. Remember what we read in Corinthians? Christ is the wisdom of God. And you see, for Solomon, there were some conditions tied to it, right? He had to obey the decrees of the Lord and, and follow God's commands. But I submit to you today, for these three that we're going to touch on, the wisdom of God is tied to your relationship through Christ to God. It's tied to that. For if you have no relationship, this kind of relationship, vertical, you and God... It's going to be very hard. How do you have a relationship with God? It's very simple. Through Christ Jesus. Living in a relationship with Him. So you want wisdom? You want to be able to approach His throne and ask? You do it through Christ Jesus. That's the way. So Jesus is the wisdom of God. And you see, for, for Solomon, there was even social proof. It wasn't just recorded in Scripture, but people knew that. Wow, there's something different about this king now. I just want to point back to uh, 1 Kings chapter 10. When the queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's fame, 
which brought honor to the name of the Lord, she actually came to meet him to test him with hard questions. So uh, when you begin to ask for wisdom, you're going to seem smarter than other people. And listen, it's not of you to boast, but know that it should always point to God. The glory goes back to him. But the Queen of Sheba actually came to test King Solomon with hard questions because God granted him that request of wisdom. And then in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 4 and 5, it says this, When the Queen of Sheba realized how very wise Solomon was, and when she saw the palace he had built, she was overwhelmed. So this is the kind of wisdom that God can give somebody. And in verses 6 and 7 of 1 Kings chapter 10, she exclaimed to the king, Everything I heard in my country about your achievements and wisdom is true. I didn't believe what was said until I arrived here and saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I had not heard the half of it. So she's saying, whatever I heard about your wisdom, now that I've seen it, that, that wasn't even the half of what it actually is. Your wisdom and prosperity are far beyond what I was told. I'm telling you, ask for wisdom and God will give it to you. And you could bring that with you into any situation. And it might not be your situation. You might be brought into a situation where someone says, hey, you're a believer. You go to that church on Weston Road. Uh, we, we need your wisdom for this or we need God's help for this. Well, guess what? There's an opportunity. You won't have time to press pause and say, you know what? Just give me about 20 minutes. I got to go... Uh, uh, just me and God time. No, no, no. You do that on your own time. When you're around people, when you're in the middle of, of the fire, you, you got to be ready. And so these three tools, these godly things that you're going to bring with you, you don't have to go off. Know that if you're a believer, you, you live in a right relationship, then you have these with you. You are armed with the wisdom of God. So begin to ask him now for that wisdom Say, Lord, everywhere I go, would you arm me with that special wisdom that only comes from you in your workplace? Could you imagine when it comes time and you're sitting there with your bosses, maybe you, you are one of the supervisors or you're in those meetings where you're making important decisions about the company's future or in which purchases and companies to work with and to partner with, and you have godly wisdom added to the equation? You don't think that people will notice? Hey, Everything that they say has, has weight to it. It makes sense. And, and promotion can come even from that. But leave that up to God. But you just begin to ask him for wisdom. And begin to ask him for wisdom. Number two is the power of God. In, in Corinthians, we read that Christ is the wisdom of God, but also the power of God. One of the worst things we can do as Christians is walk around defeated. The one, we're not victims, we're victors. Can I get an amen if you believe that? When you read the word, Christ paid the ultimate price for you and for me. So the Bible says the same, what? Power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of me, believers. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you and me. But we don't always walk around like that, right? So in 1 Kings 18, there's a contest on Mount Carmel. And here's 
the prophet Elijah. He is the last prophet of God standing. And there are 450 prophets of Baal on the other side. And here's kind of the rundown of what's going on. Elijah says, let's go out. We're going to have a contest and we're going to see who the real God is. Baal, who you worship, or the God that I worship. And we will see. So this is what he says. Bring two bulls. Let's bring two bulls. And, and the prophets of Baal, you can choose whichever bull you want. And let's, you're going to cut them up and put them on the altar. And then he said, and I'm going to do the same. And here's what he said. The God who responds with fire is the one true God. And so he, in courtesy, says, you guys go first. You go first. Go. And so they prepare the altar. They, they, take the, they choose the bull. They cut it up into pieces as they would for the sacrifice. They lay it on the altar. And then they start calling on the, their God, their God, small g, and the God of Baal. And they're saying, oh, come, fire, come and burn this. And, but nothing is happening. And they're going on and on and on. And in verse 24 of 1 Kings 18, then call on the name of your God, he says, and I will call on the name of our God, of the Lord, the God who answers by fire is the one true God, and all the people, so they agreed. And now they're doing this. In verses 26 to 28, they're calling out on Baal to come, but there's no reply. Elijah now begins to even mock them. Time is passing. It's almost noon in the day, and so when he starts mocking, do you know what their response is? They start to shout even louder. And, and guess what? There's still no response. And I actually want to read from chapter 18, just a few verses for you to understand something important. As we talk about these tools uh, and these three godly things, remember about the relationship aspect that we are to maintain and we, the Bible says, remain in me and I will remain in you. And now in 1 Kings 18, starting at verse 30, I just want to shed some light into this part. Then Elijah called to the people, come over here. And they all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. The altar of the Lord was torn down because they weren't worshiping God. They were actually worshiping Baal. And their own gods. And so Elijah knew that if I want God to respond, what do I have to do? I have to rebuild the altar of the Lord. And you might be here, and maybe once you experience the power of God in your life, and you're like, but it's just so stale and dry now. I feel like it's stagnant, and there's no river of life here. My, my challenge to you out of the word is, Maybe it's time to rebuild the altar again in your life. Where once your heart was soft before the Lord and you would wait for him. And, you, and just like Jesus, you would leave early in the morning and spend and do your time with God. Maybe you've lost that fire. It's time to get it back. And how do you do it? You rebuild the altar in your life again. And so this is what he says. He says, come. Let's gather around. And the very first thing, he doesn't call on the name of the Lord first, but he rebuilds the altar. Why? Because that's where he places the sacrifice. So he says, come, let's, let's rebuild the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. Verse 31, 
He took 12 stones, one to re represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. And he piled wood on the altar. He cut the bull into pieces and laid the pieces on the wood. And get this. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. So they do this. They grab the jars, fill it with water, and now they're pouring it over it. Well, if you want fire to consume the sacrifice, water is kind of not going to happen or make it be easy. And he says, don't just do it once, but do it three times. And, and he does it by the third time. There's water, so it's covering everything on the altar. And then remember, he dug a trench all around what he built. Now water fills that trench. And then... He gets ready to call on the name of the Lord. As I want to say one more thing about rebuilding the altar. And I just feel that someone here needs to hear this today. In Romans 12 verse 1, it says this. Remember, you're rebuilding the altar and the altar is a place of sacrifice. Well, what do you put now on your altar that you rebuild in your own life? Therefore, Romans 12 1, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, you know, if this is your first time with us in church, we're not talking about, you know, what Elijah's doing, cutting up a bull. You don't cut yourself up, put yourself on the altar and say, okay, kill me, God, with fire. That's not what it is, but it's a, it's a symbol of sacrifice, of saying, Lord, I surrender everything to you. And here's the thing. The problem with a living, right? It's not a dead sacrifice. You don't kill yourself. A living sacrifice, the problem with that is we can crawl off the altar again. And that's the thing. So we have to continually make sure that the altar is rebuilt in our lives and that we are daily laying our lives on that altar And the Bible says this is your pleasing act of worship to God. So if you want to worship him with your lifestyle, your life, lay yourself down and say, God, I surrender everything to you. And here's the beautiful thing. When you do that and then you call on the name of the Lord, God responds with power. And fire, so once the altar is rebuilt and now Elijah calls on the Lord, you know what he says? In verse uh, 30, uh, 36, it says, At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Remember, the odds are against him in terms of people. It's 450. They got zero response. Now it's verses 1. And let's see what happens. O oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. And then in verse 37, he calls in, O oh Lord, answer me, answer me, so these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. See, the purpose is still redemptive. And then verse 38, immediately. The fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, 
they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. The power of God. Jesus is the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we read it. And in Mark 16, New Testament, chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, it says this, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In whose name? In my name, Jesus. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. And they will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. And they will place their hands on sick people. And they will get well. It's not in these hands where the power comes from. Or this body. The power comes from God. And Christ is the power of God. And so because of that, when I live in right relationship with God, number one, I don't only have access to the wisdom of God when I ask for it. Number two, I have access to the power of God. Jim Simbola, the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York, says this about the power of God. The work of God can only be carried on by the power of God. The church is a spiritual organism fighting spiritual battles. And only spiritual power can make it perform as God ordained. And then J.I. Packer says, Our high and privileged calling is to do the will of God in the power of God for the glory of God. And so we have access to the power of God. And the last thing is the presence of God. The presence of God. And this is something special for me in my own life. The presence of God is, is the place where I long to be. It's the place where I feel complete. And in Scripture, in Psalm 1611, it says, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And in your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. We open the service with that Scripture. Exodus 33 15 and 16, it's not on the screen, but this is what it says. Then Moses, the, God was calling Moses to lead the people out of the, uh, from Egypt into the promised land. And, and it was a big task. There are millions of Israelites that he had to lead. And look at what he says. So God was telling him, you're going to do this. And Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. In verse 16, how will anyone know that you look favorably on me, meaning as a leader, and on your people, if you don't go with us? And then he makes this incredible statement about God's presence. For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. It's not your hairstyle or the color of your hair, not, not the clothes that you're able to afford and wear. As, as good as you might look, that's not what marks you. You know what marks you as different? The presence of God in your life. And it becomes evident. Your countenance is different when you, when you dwell in the presence of God. And here's the, the beautiful thing. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of His people, right? So if I make worship a, a daily lifestyle and I go about my day, and God is on my mind. Guess what? As I thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, even though I saw frost on my neighbor's roof today. Thank you, God. I thank you that we do have a new day today. 
thank you that though I, I'm getting over this sinus thing, that I still have breath in my lungs. And thank you, God, that it's your breath that you give me life today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And as I praise him, God inhabits the praises of his people. I take Jesus with me everywhere I go. As I go to work, as I go to the grocery store, as I go to swimming lessons with my son, I take the presence of God with me. When I go visit my mortgage broker or my insurance broker, and they say, something's different about you. Well, it's not because I'm a pastor, I'll tell you that. Uh, or a father of three young kids who don't sleep that well at night. That's not what makes me different. It's the presence of God that changes me. And it changes my circumstance, it changes my perspective, but it changes the environment as well. That's the power of God's presence. Matthew 1 verse 23 says, Look, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son. Speaking about Jesus. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Emmanuel is another name that Jesus carries. God is with us. What does that mean? God made his presence accessible and available. God is with us. And then we get to Matthew 28, verse 20. This is known as the Great Commission, where Jesus charges the disciples. And then eventually it turned into the early church to, to go into all the world and make disciples and baptize them. And he ends that with this. And be sure of this. I will be with you always, even to the ends of of the earth. So you have to understand that God's presence is available to you. Everywhere you go, it's one of those things you can take in. You're nervous for the job interview. Guess what? The presence of God is reassuring you. It's giving you peace. The doctor calls you on the phone and says, uh, you need to come in. We have an update for you. And you're afraid or you don't understand what, what you're being called into. Guess what? The presence of God is with you as you walk in there. And though the news you receive might not be good, you're, you know that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your heart and mind through Christ, who? Jesus. So everything that we're talking about today emanates out of a right relationship with Jesus and living in that light. Thomas Merton wrote a book called No Man is an Island, says this, God, who is everywhere, never leaves us. We just read it from Matthew 28, 20. Yet he seems sometimes to be present and sometimes to be absent. If we do not know him well, we do not realize that he may be more present to us when he is absent than when he is present. And how I can make sense of this quote, and it's very true. If you read the book of Esther, you will never find that there's a mention of God. But no doubt, God's fingerprints are all over what's happening in Esther's life and in Mordecai and in their whole situation. But the name of God is never mentioned. But his handiwork is clearly seen throughout the whole story of Esther's life. And so if God's wisdom, power, and presence could be represented, let's just say like there are three fabrics, right? His wisdom, his power, and his presence but there's that one common thread that is woven through all of them and ties them all together, and his name is Jesus. And that's the key thing. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet with me this morning.
Here's the beauty of coming to church today is you get to decide what you do with what you've heard. I can preach, and you know what? I have to be faithful to preach God's word and to preach his word, not my opinion, and, and to give you an opportunity to decide, what do I want to do with this? What do I want to do with this? Because listen, I can give you the wisdom that I've received and that God has imparted into my life for your situation. But I think the, the smarter thing, maybe this is godly wisdom coming now, is for you to ask him. Because I can't ask for you. You have to ask God for wisdom. Number two, the power of God. The power of God is available to you. But again, it comes in that relationship with Jesus and knowing him and then the presence of God. You know what? It's going to be hard to dwell and to carry God's presence well unless you actually know how to get in his presence, how to get alone with God and spend time in his presence. And listen, you can't manufacture an atmosphere. You, some, some of you, you walk into a place and you just get the creepy heebie-jeebies. And you're like, eh, I don't get a good feeling about this, right? You go into other places. Hopefully this morning when you walked into this place, I spoke to a few of you. And you're like, I, I'm so glad I came. It's my first time today and I just feel at home. I feel a connection. It's not here. The connection is here. And that's important to me as a pastor because uh, this is what we're after. We're not here for information. We're here for transformation of our lives and of our situations because this is what Jesus came to do. He came to save people. And I'm, I'm here, and maybe you're hearing me, and, and you've heard these three things, and you're like, that's awesome, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and maybe that's the missing piece for you. Today, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus and to respond. And I'm simply going to say this, and I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes or bow your head. Uh, maybe you've been in churches where that's what they do. But here's the truth, and this is my conviction, is if you can't stand and make a decision in a safe place, in God's house for Jesus, it'll be very hard to do it outside the walls of this place when you walk out. So right now, if you're hearing me, and I'm not asking, or it's not an open invitation for everyone to just look around. But if you're here and you want to make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior, you want to give him your life. Maybe you've made a mess of it and you do need his wisdom. Before you ask, you need to build an altar that you can surrender everything on. It simply happens by you asking Jesus to come and be Lord and Savior. So if you're here today and you'd like to make that first time decision, You've never invited him into your heart. I'm going to just invite you to slip up your hand real high so I can see it. And then we're going to pray if there's anyone here. It's not to embarrass anyone. It's just to simply say, today I'm making a choice and I'm taking a stand. If there's anyone here, let me just see your hand. This is an opportunity and I want to offer it to you who want. Amen. So then, is your hand up, sister, right here? Okay, you're just enjoying the presence of God. I just want to be sensitive to the moment. Now, here's what we're going to do. There might be people here, and, and I'm not singling you out, but you've been in church, but the altar has not been rebuilt. And you've been 
coming and just going through the motions but not feeling anything. You might say, well, church is not, it's not about a feeling, pastor. Well, listen, God does tug at the heartstrings. Sometimes you see people cry. Why? Maybe because of the past. Maybe because of the present situation. We're not here to judge. But I do know that God does work through our emotions. We are human beings and we respond sometimes because of an overwhelming feeling. And it's not manipulative at all. But if you're here and you say, you know, Pastor, I feel like there's always been this block. I come to church, I see people receiving, maybe lifting their hands or crying, and God's doing something, but I feel nothing. I want to pray over you today that God would help you rebuild. Maybe that altar that once was built, but now it's laying in ruins. And then we're going to honor God with our lives and live a right relationship. Listen, there's no fancy music playing because I don't want manipulation. I want this to be your will saying, I'm going to do this. And this is what I'm after today. And this is what I want. So if you're here, I want to pray with you. And, and as I pray, I'm also going to pray that these three things would become staples of who we are as, as Weston Road, as a church. Can you say amen? If you believe that and if you desire that. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me. So everyone, you can close your eyes. Do whatever you need to do to, to focus on God and to begin to ask Him even now. Come on, church, let's lift our voices. We could begin to ask Him even now for wisdom. We can even begin to ask Him now for more of His presence as we desire Him to move in this place. We prayed for healing already today. And God, I thank You this morning. And it's in the name of Jesus that we approach your throne. Father, we thank you that your word has everything we need in terms of answers for this life. Father, not only that, but you give us access to your wisdom and to revelation. Father, I pray for today, whoever might be lacking wisdom, Lord, as they begin to ask now that you would Open up the heavens, Father, and begin to fill them with godly wisdom. Fill them with wisdom, God. As a church, may we be full of wisdom. Not that we puff ourselves up, because all glory goes to you in the end. It's not our wisdom, it's yours. Father, for the power, we thank you. Lord, one of the things Elijah did was he rebuilt the altar before he even called on you to answer. And so, Father, if there's anyone here who's maybe once had a relationship, but they're just kind of doing, doing life on their own, or they're here, but they're not feeling the fresh fire of God. Father, today, as they rebuild their altar, Father, would fresh fire come and fall again, afresh and anew. Come, Holy Spirit, and blow through this place. Let the wind of your Spirit bring a refreshing to Weston Road today. Father, where some might be tired, Lord, you come and you bring your strength again. Lord, would you renew a passion for your name, afresh and anew, that we wouldn't just want to do church as a ritual or come out of religion, but Lord, we come because we long for that right relationship with you. Father, not just for our generation, but for our children and our children's children still to come. And for those in our community who have yet to experience the power of God.
So, Father, we thank you for the power of God that comes. And, Lord, we thank you for your presence. Lord, it's what Moses said marks us as being different from everyone else. Lord, I know we like to hang out with people. We love to be in the presence of important people or very important people or stars and celebrities. But God, your presence is the one that matters most. And today, God, I pray that you would remove every other desire that is not of you. And Lord, give us a hunger and thirst for your presence again. Lord, that we would be worshipers of you alone, that we would lift our hands to no other God but you, and that we could call down the presence of God over every situation. And we thank you, Lord. For you are faithful. And when we call on you, you respond. So, Father, we thank you. Lord, I feel the weight of your glory in this place. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who has yet to experience your presence for themselves, Lord, I pray for an open heaven that they would come to know your presence is heaven to us on earth. Your presence is heaven to us. So, Jesus, we thank you today because it's only because of you that we have access to these important things. God's wisdom, God's power, and God's presence. And Father, I thank you that we can take this with us wherever we go into any situation. And we can be used to make the difference, not for our glory or fame, but for your honor and for your glory, that Toronto would be a city that knows you. And Father, as we close this service, Lord, I think about the, the horrific incident that happened in the early week with, with all of those who in a moment experienced grief when someone plowed a van into a crowd of people all throughout Young Street. Father, we don't understand with our wisdom why people do that. But God, we do know that you are also the God who supplies peace when nothing else makes sense. And so today, in the name of Jesus, I speak your peace over those families who are hurting, who are broken, who are left with so many questions, possibly, as to why. Lord, we don't answer, we can't answer why that happened. But what we can respond as the church is that there is a peace which surpasses all understanding and it will guard hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. So again, in the name of Jesus, we speak your peace, Lord, and not only over them, but over my uncle, over the Sabatini family, Lord, over others in our midst that we're not even aware of that are struggling, that are hurting, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, God, would you respond like only you can. And Lord, we thank you that this is what it means to be the church. Lord, you've given us everything we need to be successful for your glory. Now may we use these tools, Lord, for your purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. 
church, I want to, I don't often say this, but I do want to say this as your pastor. I love you. I love you, and you matter, not just to me, but to God a lot. And, so, and you need to be reminded of that. So as we walk out of this place, you're taking three things with you. The wisdom of God, the power of God, and the presence of God. And the bonus, the peace of God. So have a blessed week. And uh, men, if you want to join me for Bold Venture, I'm waiting for you. Come talk to me and, and we'll get you signed up. God bless you. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit accompany us on our way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a blessed week. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life, and we want to hear about it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westernroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.